Hi, welcome to this Q&A for White Riot. We are joined by director Rebecca Shah and producer Ed Gibbs. Welcome. Um, this will be available on Back to SoundCloud, so keep an eye out for the podcast in the coming weeks. Um, thank you very much for joining us um, with your film White Riot. Um, I wanted to start, start Rubika by asking you about the genesis of the film, and I believe it came out of a short film you had made beforehand, and that's kind of developed into the feature film. Um, absolutely. We, um, we made a short film actually called White Riot London, um, but it was quite um, a different film in the sense that it was quite an arty experimental film where we um, were able to test a few of the ideas that we wanted to use in the feature. Um, so we were able to use animation, we used um, spoken word, we worked with spoken London spoken word artists, um, and we had um, pages from the fanzine and various other bits and pieces and so it's a bit of a mongrel in that sense it's a real like kind of punk arty experimental film um, but it gave us a chance to test out some of the ideas that we wanted to use in the feature. I believe there's quite a long timeline in trying to get the film off the ground did it take kind of approximately five years to kind of from the first kind of idea of turning it into a feature and kind of what was that process like? Um, absolutely, yeah. It started, gosh, yeah, five years ago, and um, we were um, we we had the idea, I think, just by watching the class clash footage at Victoria Park, and that was really our way into the um, story. We were just amazed that this story about rockets racism hadn't been told. You know, the story of a hundred thousand young people, punks, all sorts of people uniting for this common cause, you know, to stand up against racism. Um, so we we embarked on this journey in 2016 and just were were able to um, to put an application in for development finance, which we were successful with. We um, we went to film London to make the shorts, and all the while we were kind of thinking about you know the story that we wanted to tell. Um, and so the story of Rock Against Racism itself is a huge story. It's the story of five years from 1976 to 1981. You know, it takes in so many different aspects of um, politics and what was going on at the time. Um, and so we quickly narrowed it down to two years and we thought we wanted to tell the story, the, grass, the story of the grassroots movement, you know, from people meeting in a, in a print shop to people coming together and creating a punk fanzine, um, musicians, everyone getting on board. And um, so that, that became our starting point. And so that was probably about three years ago. And then it's been full steam ahead since then. God, and the world has changed dramatically, I imagine, since 2016 and now. And how did that have kind of an impact on kind of the way that you made the film and the messaging that you wanted to put across? Did it have an impact? Um, well, we when we started out, we didn't um, we didn't know that the events of the last five years were going to happen, did we? We um, you know Brexit. There was Brexit. There was um, uh, various things. Um, uh, also, jog my memory. <laughs> well, I think there was. We had a sense that there was something bubbling under the surface at the time. I think we'd had a few strange conversations in mm. out of London, actually, uh, particularly I think in. Kent, Not, nothing against the, the wonderful people of Kent, but we ha happen to have some strange conversations with people, sort of in, random conversations in pubs, things like that, where they came out with some surprising comments and, and views on, um, on Britain and 
it was a bit of a shock um and i suppose that was somewhere in the back of our mind mm. but um i think the only thing i would say is that as we got further down the track as we got further down through production an extinction rebellion began to kick off and really when we were in post to be honest and that's when it was really hitting the headlines i think that really inspired us to um to make sure that we send out a positive message uh, that was more important than ever and, and that the film had to finish on a, on a positive note. You know, it had to be, if, if anything, a rallying cry for people to go out and, you know, say to everyone, you, you know, you can, you can make a change, anyone can make a change, which Red, of course, articulates so beautifully at the end. Absolutely, and, and I was actually just going to add in um, about, so there was Brexit, then there was, um, you know, Trump, Trump hadn't been elected, um, you know, so there was this kind of feeling in the air, I guess, that we tapped into some kind of a zeitgeist element, I guess, that was happening in the subconscious that, you know, we were picking up on. And then these events unfolded and then the film became more and more relevant and, you know, stands up today as being something that just feels so timely. Yeah, and it's unfortunately. It's unfortunate how timely and how contemporary some aspects of it feel now. You mentioned, Ed, kind of grassroots, grassroots movements like Extinction Rebellion, kind of the rock against racism, the kind of the grassroots movement and the nature of that kind of coming about in the 70s with that kind of what we have now. We don't have, they don't have the social media tools and the reach and the global output and kind of that's communicated so well kind of in the documentary how... Um, kind of just through kind of various networks and these musical works, how that came together. Um, I want to know if whether the, with the contributors in the film and those networks, how did you select who would be part of it? And you know, what, how did you select which stories you wanted to tell in particular? That's a good question. I mean, you know, as Rebecca mentioned, there was a lot of material to go through. Um, and there are a lot of rabbit holes that we went down during research. There's so much uh, to cover and an awful lot happened actually in that sort of five, six year period. Um, and we felt that the, there was definitely a core group of, um, of people that either started the movement or were, were integral to its uh, initial success. So we kind of had to, well, we felt that, you know, we should have a good number of those in the film and we wanted to have some of the key musicians that have really supported uh, the movement from early on. Um, and then we sort of nailed it down time-wise to um, really the first two years, I think, wasn't it? Or 18 months, it, or two years. But we thought, well, there were a lot of car carnivals actually subsequent to the Vicky Park one. There were several, you know, and there were national tours and there were all kinds of events going on. Um, and there are there are other um, some shocking stories that happened as well with Blair Peach and various other things over the years that followed. Um, but we felt like it was important maybe to present, I guess, the the birth of Ra and and how it came about and how how I wouldn't I wouldn't say ordinary people because they 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 weren't ordinary people whatever ordinary people whatever that term means but everyday people shall we say doing something really extraordinary and um, they were all very talented people of course um gifted artists in their own right um and showing really how that how they came from nothing started with nothing and and put on this amazing concert you know 
with, with no resources and 100,000 people marching from Trafalgar Square and seeing The Clash and all these other wonderful bands on stage. How on earth, you know, you go from A to B? And that, that was really the storytelling key, I think, wasn't it? For us to, to say, well, okay, let's present that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's quite incredible, kind of that hundred thousand people, kind of even today, trying to get that number of people to mobilise together to do something. Kind of when we've got everything at our fingertips to be able to do it, is quite a feat. So, kind of in the seventies to be able to mobilise, mm. um, it's encouraging. It's optimistic as well to know that you know there was you know people cared enough to be able to get out onto the streets. Um, we've had a couple of questions come through. Um, so Justin Edgar said, I really enjoyed the film. Congratulations to you both on a great piece of work. I know that old punks are a contrarian bunch and I wondered if you had any refusals from potential interviewees. Not that I can think of. Can you think of anyone who said um, no? Well, I think because Rob Against Racism is such a positive story. We actually had a lot of love from a lot of people um, that you wouldn't expect in various different parts of the production um you know process so you know music archive um animation using the fanzine um you know it, there was a lot of i think feeling of like this story should be told and we want to help you tell this story now and and celebrate the guys behind the movement you know like red saunders ruth gregory um roger huddle um kate webb lucy toothpaste i mean there's just like a handful of people that were involved and oh, so you mentioned, you touched on a few things that kind of that filtered into the film and became filmic styles in a way. Mm. So um, using the fanzine and using parts of animation. And so you've got the mixture of the archive footage and the talking heads. And I just wondered how you came to those decisions, like from a conceptual point of view of putting the film together and of using all those different elements. Um, yeah, well, well, quite quickly, like I knew that the fa the fanzine was the thing that really, like, really made me think, wow, this is something that happened, you know, in late seventies, um, and the graphics and the words actually in the fanzine were so emotive of the time, and were able to tell the story of what was happening in a way that I hadn't really heard before in any documentaries or films that I'd watched, you know, and I'm I, I'd say that you know I've watched a lot from that era and about that era. Um, so I was really excited about using those graphics, you know, and animating them. And um, that, that was the great thing about making the short as well, because we were able to test out new ways of using graphics with, um, with archive and marrying those two together to see how we could bring the punk fanzine to life. We have another question. Um, Catherine Haber. I'm fascinated by Eric Clapton's support of the British Nazi party, as well as even David Bowie. Would be very interested in hearing more on how it seems to have been forgotten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's been, I don't know if it's been forgotten. I mean, it's on Wikipedia. I mean, it, it, you can Google it. Um, I think it, it's, it's, it's a curious thing, isn't it? That a certain generation perhaps of musicians had, or some of them, sorry, had surprising political views or political views that would be surprising to us today and surprising to you know a lot of people back then um, particularly shall we say those who were inspired by or heavily influenced by blues musicians black blues musicians who may have you know had big hit records with <clears throat> those songs and with you know Bob Marley 
cupboards and things like that. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, it's a curious thing. I don't, we didn't really want to, that to detract too much from our story, but I suppose suffice to say, I guess with, um, with, without the internet, mm. it, it's, it's easier to, to maybe slightly brush things under the carpet, perhaps things that are somewhat unsavory or, you know, a bit awkward or, you know, it's probably easier to. Well, it's, it was. Um, push to answer. I, I was going to say. So we had made a film about David Bowie, a short film, and it was a big question about you know, including David Bowie because he made you know those remarks in the late seventies, you know, and who do you know? You can't you can't just include one artist, can you? And airbrush the rest out. So um, we came, and then we came, came across. Um, uh, someone else I won't say just in case for those who haven't seen the film um and we just thought that we've just got to include everybody in it and you know it's, it's actually the jumping off point for the film you know some of the early cuts we had quite a big section devoted to you know artists um you know rock artists and racism in the late 70s but then we found that it just it just didn't work for the film because the film is about punk and it's about youth culture and it's about youth rebellion, isn't it? You know, and having this like big section about these, you know, older rock stars really just didn't work. But I think how we tackled it in the film is like, well, this is what they said, kind of quite matter of fact. And you can go away now and you can if you want to find out more about them, then the Internet's there and there's there's heaps of stuff written. Yes. And there's a lot. There's a lot more now than, of course, there was then. I mean, if you Google it now, you can find all kinds of stuff, um, or you know, um, from that time and news reports. And there's an awful lot of other stuff we found that, that isn't actually online too. So, but I don't know. You, ha you have to ask the uh, individual artists in question as to why why they had these rather contrary ideas. Did you think of approaching Clapton? No, we didn't actually, we didn't really, because I didn't, I mean, we, again, I mean. He, um, towards the end of the, um, I think when we were in the edit, um, the documentary came out about Eric Clapton, uh, where he doesn't really address it, but he does address it on, a, I think, on the Radio 4 interview. And he does say, I think, that he regrets it. So, you know, it's not, it's not a film about trying to get to, like, trying to, like, have a go at Eric Clapton. You know, people, I think, have, you know views different views when they're younger and you know we we don't hold it against him what he said <laughs> what you do so well is um setting the time frame i've done very early on and you've mentioned the ways of kind of few of the ways of doing that but um talking about kind of you know enoch powell and alluding to the 1968 kind of speech that he made um setting kind of looking at the archive footage of and the mass Tory cuts and youth disenfranchisement and looking at the, you've set the tone and the general sentiment of the UK at that time. And I was wondering how you went about to decide again, how to set it so in that way and what to include to kind of give an overview of why people were feeling kind of perhaps pushed at that point. Um, well, I think, from a personal perspective when i was looking back at this time i felt like there were certain you know nuggets of uh, things that happened and people that popped up during that time that we had to include so you know enoch powell obvious for obvious reasons and then um you know martin webster from the national front um, we didn't actually include john tyndall and 
we felt that you know Martin Webster I think was you know a big enough character to encapsulate the whole of the National Front and show you know just how brutal they were um, you know we didn't want to shy away from the violence of the time and so you know there's some moments where we just really just looked at it really matter-of-fact and just thought well this is a fact that happened you know I didn't feel like it had always been covered that way in other documentaries so I wanted to be like truthful to the time and to you know show that this is the kind of thing that were happening to, to people. Were you kind of ever really really shocked by some of the stuff that you came across and chose kind of perhaps not to include it? Um, yeah there's so much violence I mean we we you know you're going through like it feels like hundreds of hours of archive of just you know racial abuse and violence um and hatred and you know after a while it does become very you know you do start to feel you know that this is horrible stuff it starts to affect you after a while um but it becomes relentless actually mm -hmm. i mean you think what a nasty i mean it was a nasty time but it was really dangerous out on the streets of these cities particularly mm -hmm really dangerous if you weren't white and just horrific well, even if you were well I mean, even if you were white actually and you were it was across the board had, people, yeah. yes but particularly if you weren't white mm. but um but of course then we you also see what was going on in the media and how you know how things were being presented on tea time telly uh which was shocking in itself too which we might you know there's a sequence in the film about that as well yeah, you do kind of forget. I was born in the late 70s, so a child of the 80s, and there were certain words that I was called quite often in the, you know, the first, you know, in kind of in my younger years. And, you know, they have, they did disappear for a really long time. And then, you know, slowly things are creeping and seeping back in. And that's why I think this film is just, you know, of such a time, unfortunately, that kind of a lot of the things that reflected kind of so well in what you put together, unfortunately, coming back into society. Mm right now um going back to the filmmaking protests and gathering all kind of i know from there'll be lots of filmmakers watching in terms of kind of that vast there's some archive footage and kind of how you know the sources that you had and how you found kind of all of those different elements and you know and also did you have to pay for some of that footage as well and how did it kind of how was it pieced together in that sense um well we we had a lot of um a lot of love from a lot of people so you know a lot of people were really into the cause and they were really into supporting the film from that perspective but we had to pay for you know a whole bunch of it as well um so that was um an interesting process of negotiation well i mean it, the, the thing with archive is that um it, it's often a process so it usually is a process of negotiation and and discovery and often the people who own the archive don't know either that they've got this archive in their attic or in a shoebox, or they don't necessarily know, realize that it's actually of interest or of worth to other people. Um, so it's an interesting process finding it. And then uh, again, uh, another interesting process trying to negotiate using it and how you're going to use it and you know what it's worth. And some people, a lot of people were quite happy to share it with us. Um, without stinging us. I mean, it's not like we didn't have this big budget, so it's not like we, we couldn't offer lots of money because, you know, we didn't have lots of money to offer. So. Um, what was most surprising kind of going through everything? What did you, is there anything that you found out that you didn't know about? For me, kind of that Asian, the Asian punk band, obviously, that formed kind of a, the, a kind of core part of it. 
I never ever heard of them or come across them and it was just quite a revelation quite you know quite joyous to see as well you know and did you know about them beforehand or um it, we found out about them through the journey of Rock Against Racism um, and, you know, excavating the story and were just amazed that these guys had just like, um, just disappeared, I guess, off the face of the earth, um, you know, and so it was a, it was a big decision. We actually interviewed um, Pervez, the, the lead singer, we interviewed him a little bit later and so we had to recut some of the film to get him in, but we thought that he was just so important. Um, and to, and so the general idea with our approach to the film was to follow the um, fanzine that came out during that period. So we use that as a good kind of overview or backbone of the story. Um, so we would look at the articles that they wrote about at specific times and try and pin them to the right time in our film when we could. Um, but with Pervez, they actually um, became big a little bit later, but they were just, I just thought that that story was so important, so personal as well to me. Um, that we wanted to include, include them in. And plus they're really big fans of The Clash and Tom Robinson, so they kind of worked in, in really well. We've got about a couple of minutes left. I'm just gonna ask anyone at home, if you've got any more questions, please do send them through. Um, I wanted to ask about home. I, and I'm very conscious, I'm sorry that the, Rubika and Ed have two <laughs> young children as well, so they're <laughs> being champions by kind of doing this Q&A for us this evening. So um, I just wanted to ask, I'll ask a final question, just looking at kind of um, what you would hope for, kind of have you got anything planned in terms of a, a follow-up film that follows on from a different period that follows up maybe for the next four years of Rock Against Racism, or are you focusing kind of on it, you know, on other projects, what are you working on? Um, that's a massive question actually at the moment because we're um you know we're trying to take a breather from the film obviously from finishing the film so that's um you know that because that was such a big part of our lives for so long and i actually edited it as well so that that was a big process um and a big part of my life for that time and um so i'm interested in telling the story of alien culture um i think they've got a really great story and it's a kind of an unofficial follow-up i guess to white riot um, and then working on a bunch of other feature docs, series ideas, um, lots of different things. And also um, my roots actually lie in drama. Um, so, you know, that was another thing about White Riot, approaching it like a drama, like a narrative. Um, so I'm definitely going to go back to my roots in filmmaking roots. And um, I've got a, a feature film that I've been writing, actually, which is based on... Um, based on a, a true story. So I'm going to be working on that. Well, I should have said congratulations at the beginning because the film won the Documentary Award at the London Film Festival um, at the end of last year. Um, we're hoping for a theatrical release once we come out of lockdown in a few months. Um, but thank you so much for joining us, Rubika. Thank you very much. Bye, thanks. Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.